Hey everybody, Steve here, Local Level Podcast. I'm sitting here today with Brian Boley. He's the owner of InFocus Payroll in Evanston, Illinois. Uh, you can check out more about his company at infocuspayroll.com. And uh, Brian, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me, Steve. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I always have a phone call with the people um, beforehand, you know, that I, that I have on the show to kind of get a feel for, you know, where you're at and, you know, uh, uh, what you're about. And we did a marathon. We were talking for, I, what was it? We were like talking for like two hours because there's so many different uh, things going on in the world, obviously. Um, you're very close to it because you deal with payroll and, you know, kind of getting into bookkeeping and um, that's a really important thing nowadays because of, you know, the PPP loans and all the different things with people's businesses right now. So um, let's uh, let's back up a little bit, though. Tell everybody a little bit about what you do. What is InFocus Payroll about? And, uh, um, you know, kind of what's your story? Sure. Well, yeah, Steve, um, payroll is really big right now. And so is bookkeeping um, for many reasons, but the main reason is cash flow and businesses right now don't have cash coming in. And so they really have to pay close attention to, you know, the cash going out. Uh, Payroll is one of the biggest expenses. So that's always um, a a big deal because you're also dealing with people's livelihood. Right. So um, to touch on, on, how I started the payroll service back in 2012. Um, I was, I had been working for large payroll services, uh, since 2006. And what I found was there was a common theme where it was, how can we automate everything, uh, to the point where we don't have to talk to people. We don't have to actually resolve issues or, you know, uh, correct problems. And when problems did occur, it was a nightmare. Uh, clients would have to call in multiple times to get updates. Uh, internal staff didn't even know what to say. There were a lot of uh, low-paid reps that were trying to communicate and try to pacify the client, but really didn't know what was going on. And um, there were people behind the scenes working on kind of putting a Band-Aid on things and trying to resolve things in the short term just to make, just to close the ticket, right. the support ticket. Right. And not really treating the the human, um, you know, like a human, more like a, just a defect. Sure. And so uh, I spent a lot of time working uh, at Sure Payroll was one of the companies got bought out by Paychecks. Um, they had about 35,000 small business clients at the time. So I worked with a lot of small businesses and, um, you know, I, I saw, I saw it all. And a lot of things that happened were, uh, mistakes that the owner would make because they were in a hurry trying to process payroll. We didn't catch it. And then it was too late. It was, there was an amendment or an adjustment that needed to be done. And, um, which caused tax notices, tax penalties. And then on top of it, we were charging the client hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars to, um, to fix a mistake that really shouldn't have been made. It was just because of user interface uh, wasn't uh, working for that client. So that's why I started the payroll service. Um, After about two years of complaining to my friends and family, 
right. uh, they, they finally just had enough and, and kind of helped coax me into starting it. It's, uh, it's interesting that you bring up, this is something, this is a reoccurring thing. I mean, as far as treating people like a human being, you know, and, and, you know, I've been talking to a lot of, um, attorneys lately, you know, and, uh, everybody kind of has a different uh, story and everybody kind of, uh, has a background, uh, either working for a large corporation or, you know, whatever. And whenever they decide to, to open their own thing, for the most part, it's for that reason, because there isn't that connection. You, you want to be able to offer something more than what's been available. And um, I think uh, part of one of the big parts of our conversation that we had before was, you know, um, that you want to do it a little differently. You know, um, the, the problems that you bring up where there's problems happening where you have, you know, tax problems now. Now you owe money. There's all these things that especially now that stuff can't happen. I mean, that is the difference between being in business and being out of business, you know. Um, so it's, uh, it's more important than ever to have somebody like you, uh, obviously on, on, as an advocate, you know, kind of like a partner in understanding in depth, uh, where you're not just a, a, a ticket, like you said, um, tell us a little bit about kind of how you do things a little different than like the big giant corporations, like you mentioned before. Sure. So, um, a lot of these companies have what's called exception fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not talked about by the salesperson. Um, they're not really talked about at all until, uh, you know, an issue comes up. I think they, they might be referred to the document is referred to in the agreement that the, that the client first signs mm-hmm. and, um, these exception fees basically lay it out for the client that if, if there's an issue, it's their fault. They're not <laughs> going to take any responsibility right. for, for issues that come up. And so one of the things that I've done is I try to educate my clients. And a lot of times, I mean, they're looking to save time. They're not looking to become payroll experts. So I don't educate them right away. A lot of times I wait for a mistake to happen. And I use that as an opportunity to educate them. And I don't charge them uh, the first time they make a mistake. I use that as a, a educational opportunity. Yeah, and sure. I call sure. it mistake forgiveness, kind of like uh, Allstate with their accident forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's one of the unique things that I do. Another thing is I, I try not to charge for implementation fees, even though I spend a lot of time implementing clients, especially if they're mid-year, mid-quarter, mid-month, uh, with history, uh, starting out with history. Um, that's a lot of work yeah. to make sure that you have all of the different wages and um, deductions and taxes all matching up exactly because you're basically taking the information from one system and putting it into another. And so I try not to charge for that um, because I believe that if you get a client off to a good start and things are smooth, uh, it doesn't leave a bad taste in their mouths and then that every, you know, if an issue does come up down the road, uh, it's not as painful. Sure. So, sure. yeah. Um, it's, it's more important than ever to have good, uh, business practices in place and kind of a support structure. Um, I guess let's, let's, for the people that aren't totally familiar with how payroll companies work and, you know, all those things, cause some people just use QuickBooks and that's all they do, you know? 
Um, what are the benefits? What are the main services that you really provide? What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Sure. So, uh, well, QuickBooks has actually changed a lot of things on their end to the point where if you use their payroll service or payroll functionality within their software, mm -hmm. the online uh, QuickBooks online, they will actually force you to use their payroll service. So that's happening a lot. Um, so there are a lot of small businesses using QuickBooks um, online and another service called Gusto. And what those and pretty much most uh, payroll services do is uh, they take on all of the responsibilities for tax filings, tax deposits, um, all of providing all of the documents that the employees need, like pay stubs and W-2s, um, all the reporting that's necessary for workers' comp audits, um, and just really, um, you know, providing all the information. It's uh, I, I can I consider most of the service services to be glorified software yeah. because really um, they are considered reporting agents payroll and, and in focus payroll as well as a reporting agent. And what that means is uh, we're just going to take what's in the payroll system and use that for your tax filings and your tax deposits. If that's incorrect, then most uh, payroll services will not take responsibility hmm. for those issues because it's up to the client to actually see those um, on the front end. So I guess, so like, okay, so what we talked about was uh, obviously with QuickBooks, people have that information, but most people don't really know how to use all the functions of QuickBooks. So do you, um, I, I think when you when we were talking before, you mentioned that you are the person that actually makes sense of the information for the most part um, and puts it in a, 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 a usable, uh, I guess, uh, would you say that you sort things out and, and kind of put it in a, a usable way uh, for people to make better decisions? Uh, is that kind of the essence of what you do or what would you say? Yeah. So on the front end, um, I help the clients not kind of screw things up <laughs> yeah. initially by um, kind of, I, I, I do some document review of what they're providing me to, to enter into the system. So actually I am taking on a lot of responsibility that um, most payroll services are not. Um, so like when an employee gets onboarded, my clients can enter all the information themselves, or if they don't feel comfortable with that, they can upload the documents securely uh, sure. to my website and, uh, and, and we can enter that information for them so that, uh, everything's getting off, you know, on the right foot. Um, and then after all the data has been processed, uh, there are a lot of custom reports that, uh, that clients often need, and I will either help them on the fly, create those custom reports, or I can even write custom reports to be, uh, distributed with each payroll so that they can see what they need to see or what they want to see rather than all the noise. Cause a small business without a lot of benefits isn't going to want to see a benefits report. Uh, right. A larger business isn't going to necessarily want to see all of the little details. That would be a lengthy report. So um, yeah, I, I customize things for them so that it just makes it easier for them to 
get into payroll and then get out. Yeah. I mean, most people, that's not something that they really want to deal with. I mean, first of all, people don't like to see their money going out the door, you know, so they don't like to look at that. But um, it's a it's a tedious task. I mean, to, to go through all those things, to sort through all the numbers and then to, to, to kind of take that high level perspective of am I doing this right? Like, is this the right amount of money to be paying? Uh, you know, how, how do you determine that? I know that that's kind of something that you uh, are focusing on uh, helping people with as far as determining uh, the right amount of pay. Is that right? Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Sure. So one of the services that we offer our clients for free is um, uh, reasonable compensation reports. So on a one-off basis, um, we can determine based on a job description, a basic job description, um, and number of hours worked, uh, demographics like uh, geography, um, how much uh, education background and, and experience the person has, and we can uh, create a reasonable compensation report. I work with a third party on generating that. Okay. And then I proof it um, and, and send that off to the clients. Um, I also am offering that as a uh, uh, free service to clients during uh, COVID-19. So okay, uh, hopefully we'll, that'll help some people out. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, that's huge. It's, uh, you know, starting out any business, it's always, you know, difficult to really figure out, well, you know, what are, what are my employees worth? I mean, they're, uh, you can, it's, how do you put a price tag on, on a person's work, you know? Um, and it's difficult in my mind, I think to, to, to price that out because, you know, you, you can get a, a college student, uh, you know, somebody with a, um, you know, straight out of college or whatever that does great work, you know, or, or somebody that didn't go to college that does great work and somebody that's been in the business for a long time going through the motions and then they're not worth anything, you know? Um, so that's a difficult, difficult thing, but, um, to kind of have a little bit of guidance, I guess, is, is always good. So, yeah, we'll, we'll put some uh, uh, information in the link in the description below so people can, you know, visit your website, contact you for information about that. But um, I want to go back to that. So how do you really determine those things? I mean, it's just demographic info and kind of like uh, industry standards. Is that kind of how you get that information? Yeah, so there's uh, statistical data that um, exists in multiple databases and um, there are services out there that are being utilized uh, to gather all that information. Um, and a lot of it is really important. So you, 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 you touched on, um, you know, there's a, there's a starting point for like college kids, right? They're coming out and they're willing to, uh, work their way up, um, the ladder and you can start out at minimum wage and kind of gauge it from there, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, minimum wage is obviously the least you can pay someone. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, most of my clients use the service actually for the business owners themselves and executive pay. I think that's when okay. it provides the most value uh, to them because a lot of, especially business owners, they want to pay themselves the least through payroll because yeah. they can save the most in taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they pay themselves less than a reasonable salary, um, that that could lead to them uh, having some issues with how much they paid in taxes down the road. Hmm. If they were ever audited, they could have um, uh, their tax status uh, stripped and 
all, everything kind of recalculated with penalties and interest. So, oh, wow. so yeah, it's really important that they get that right and that they are basing their salary on actual data. Um, another thing that comes up is um, uh, court documents are used to show like cases where people in the same field and with a similar background have actually made the argument uh, that reasonable compensation was at a certain level. Mm-hmm. And that's another way to, uh, to prove it. So we provide both, um, you know, reports to show kind of like where things are at the average uh, above average, below average uh, ranges. And then we provide some, uh, uh, some resources as well to, to prove that. And, and so you're, I mean, essentially it's, it's almost making a paper trail to protect yourself down the road from some sort of, you know, legal trouble, um, which is always smart. Uh, what are some of the things that, I mean, cause everybody knows, everybody knows that, uh, the business owner for the most part, want, if they're not making a whole bunch of money, they're not going to pay themselves. They're going to invest that money back into the business and, you know, do everything they can to just keep that, that flowing. Um, so you're saying that's not the right way to go. What are the risks involved with not paying yourself anything or paying yourself next to nothing? Well, I don't want to get too much into the details because that's more of like a business attorney uh, question. Sure, sure. But uh, if you're an S-corp, if you're filing your taxes as an S-corp, um, then you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary. If you're an LLC or a sole proprietor, you have a lot more flexibility um, as to how much you pay yourself. So it's, there are pros and cons to everything. I think right. a lot of times attorneys and CPAs recommend becoming an S corp because you can save a lot of money on taxes, but they don't really go into the details about what is required in order to, you know, qualify for that. Sure. Uh, so I talked to, a, I mean, most of my S corp clients, we have this conversation because they just, they don't know really why they're an S-Corp and why they're paying themselves on payroll. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of questions and for the most part, small business owners in general, um, they want in a business to do the thing that they do, you know, uh, whether they're a a cook or, you know, they, they, uh, uh, change, you know, you know, they work on cars, you know what I mean? It's like, that's what they do. Running the business and all that stuff is very difficult. It's it's a whole nother job, you know, besides actually working inside your business. So hiring out, you know, and I find I find a lot of times people will will, will hold off on hiring somebody like you to, to handle and manage things because they feel like they're saving money. Um, make your case for why that why that isn't necessarily the best move. Why, why, why is it important to start early with uh, that support? Well, getting things right is like an insurance policy. Um, you're covering yourself down the road for if you are ever audited or there are any issues that uh, put a spotlight on your company. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, paying yourself a reasonable salary, for example, is is not just a requirement, but it's also a really a good business practice to do because you always want to pay yourself first um, and then base your, you know, other expenses in your budget on what's left. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to get to the point where you don't know if you're going to have any money left over at the end. Uh, you want to have like at least 
a base salary or payment to yourself yeah. um, as a starting point really um, is important, especially if you have a family to feed. And um, I know in the beginning when I started my business, making a profit wasn't as crucial as it was when I had my, uh, my first son. And then it became exponentially more important yeah. uh, when I had my second son. So. Yeah, and and we'll definitely touch on that as well. I know uh, that's a big struggle, and I, I want to get into uh, how 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 you're balancing all that out um, currently. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the um, the PPP. Uh, I, I know that you know with everything going on right now, all the uncertainty, you know, people are really suffering. People are laid off. They're laying off their their employees, and you know, uh, for the most part, people don't want to have to do that. You know, nobody wants to lay off people that, that you know, have worked hard to, to support their business. But um, how has how have you experienced the PPP from your perspective? What are some of the things that uh, you can kind of enlighten us uh, uh, on? Sure. So in the beginning, when it first came out, I was really I was really excited mm-hmm. about the opportunity for um my clients to be able to utilize these funds. Um, the first round obviously was a pretty epic failure. Um, I think about 5% of my clients that applied actually got the funds. Um, good news is that in the second round, um, most of my clients did get the funds. Uh, the problem was, is that as it, as it got, as it became unclear whether or not all of the funds would be forgivable, uh, I had some clients that were really, really upset and struggling with the idea of taking on more debt during these times. Right. Um, yeah. Debt was already racking up. And so, um, yeah, we had some really tough decisions uh, to make. Uh, and I say we because uh, my clients often, you know, include me in in helping them make these, yeah. these types of decisions. Um, the... The payroll piece of it is one thing I had to really explain to people is you're not unemployment. You're not the unemployment agency. So if you don't have work for people, you need to let them go and let them get on unemployment. Uh, I had a lot of clients that were just like, well, if I'm going to get it forgiven, you know, I'll just go ahead and use it. But they didn't understand that they were incurring a lot of additional uh, stress and tasks and just taking on a huge responsibility and liability yeah. for for paying these people and really not their responsibility. Um, and I even spoke with a few of my clients' employees to kind of help explain that because they didn't want to claim unemployment. Yeah. They were too proud to claim unemployment. Sure. And they didn't understand why their uh, employer, if they got the PPP, wouldn't use those funds to pay them and keep them off unemployment. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about restaurants and, you know, people in the service industry that weren't able to take, you know, if they were doing delivery or, or right. pickup, they weren't, they weren't able to keep their whole staff. It just was impossible. Of course. So, yeah, it was, uh, um, really, really tough. Um, now we've gotten to the point where the economy is opening up. Things are picking up a little bit. I've actually just yesterday I had a client tell me that 
they're having their best month in a year. They're a, a printing company. Yeah. And I was just, I was ecstatic about that because I was actually calling them to use their services because I oh, wow, often, yeah. I, I often want to use my client's services Definitely. to kind of help them just in general, but especially during these times. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, things are getting a little bit better now. The issue is, okay, how do we maximize the forgiveness? Yeah. And Congress passed another bill to... Um, to extend the eight week period out to 24 weeks, but all of the timing changes as to whether or not you're bringing all of your employees back um, in time to get full forgiveness and be able to take advantage of that 24 weeks. It's still really up in the air, whether or not the 24 weeks and so you get more time and instead of uh, 80%, or I'm sorry, 75% of, of the forgivable portion having to be um, payroll, it's lowered to 60%. So you think uh, on the surface, it's more advantageous to utilize the 20, the 24 the week period, but um, it's not clear yet. And so that's really a difficult thing to explain to people right now, because if, if we have a second wave, yeah. then, um, they might go back down uh, to reduced levels and not sustain the full-time employees that maybe they'll have over the summer. So the forgivable amount would change if at the end of 24 weeks, we're in December, wow. they have to, um, you know, they have to now explain why they don't have full staff. Whereas if they stick with the eight weeks, maybe less will be forgiven or, it guarantees that more will will be forgiven. There's more of a guarantee there because they have more uh, employees on staff. It's it, it's it's very murky waters. There's well, it was rushed through. It was rushed through, obviously for good reason. Those a lot of people needed that money desperately. So, I mean, it's good that it's there, but there's a lot of uncertainty. And I figure that hopefully they'll pass a little bit more legislation to clarify some of these things as they have already done. Um, so, yeah, it's a real struggle, I would assume, for people like you to, you know, make those calls and, and, and kind of assist people in how to how to let people go, you know, when to let people go, how to take these how to take this money on, because it's totally counterintuitive that you get this money and you still have to let people go. And it's one of the most difficult things you ever do. Um, but uh, I mean, you bring up a good point, especially with the, you know, the restaurant industry you know, they don't uh, get a set paycheck for the most part. That's any, that's livable. I mean, it's mostly based on tips. So there's, I mean, it's, it's impossible to, to just uh, keep everybody on staff. You know, you can't do that. Can you speak on the restaurant industry a little bit deeper, kind of how you've, you know, helped people out and the advice you've been giving? Well, I think it's funny. I actually, I was kind of chomping at the bit here to to kind of share with you that a lot of uh, a lot of people in the service industry, or in restaurant industry, they they rely on tips, and yeah. a lot of the tips are cash, and they're not reporting these these tips. Yeah. So then, when they go to claim unemployment, those wages are not really accounted for. Right. And for a lot of people, they just think, okay, I've never been on unemployment. I'll never have to be on unemployment. You know, I'll always find something. But 
in this situation, they were not able to find something and it, what it lowered their, you know, what they were able to get in unemployment, um, in some cases pretty significantly. So, um, that's another reason to just really encourage employees to, uh, for a number of reasons, I mean, to get financing for a house or a car, you need to be able to show that income. You need to be able to prove the income. You just never know. You don't know what's going to happen down the road. And, um, I mean, business owners too, they, you want to collect all the data that you can and have it in a place where you can access it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, having more information in, in a, in a usable way is always better. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as uh, the unemployment part of that goes, I don't know how much you get into that for people. I know it's kind of in relation, but not your focus. Um, I think that the $600 bonus that they put on the unemployment was was very helpful, obviously, for, for the service industry workers. I think that it's probably one of the main reasons why they did that, right? I mean, um, or one of the biggest benefits for those people. What do you think? You know, I think they did the additional $600. Um, they well, how they stumbled upon $600, I don't know, but <laughs> right. they, they just, they just picked a, I kind of wish they would have based it on something because, uh, some people were getting paid more on unemployment than they were working, yeah. which in, in, on one side of the coin, that's good. Cause it's keeping people at home and quarantined and, you know, it's flattening the curve, right. but when it's time to come back and work, the employers are, are kind of left hanging because they don't want to be the bad guy now and rehire the people. So like they're the, they're the bad guy when they put them on unemployment and the bad guy when they, you know, right. rehire them. It's, it's a tough position to be in. Um, the $600 is helpful, um, but... Yeah, I have mixed feelings on it. I think it should just yeah. be some calculation on top of what the normal unemployment would be uh, yeah. based on what they made before. So, Yeah, you, you actually brought up something that I wanted to, to touch on as far as the, um, you know, making more on unemployment and not wanting to go back to work, not wanting to get that offer that you have to take. Um, but uh, how does that play into if you have this PPP loan, you, you know, uh, you, you, you end up laying people off or whatever. It's not going to be forgiven if people won't come back to work. Right. Like, how does that work? Is that, am I saying that backwards or how does that work? How does that play into it? Well, um, my understanding of it is that you, as long as you're hiring someone back, as long as you have the number of full-time employees, okay, that's what, that's what really matters. So if you end up hiring someone else to take the place of a person that's not wanting to come back, um, that, that will qualify. Another thing too, is if you can't justify hiring people, I mean, you've, you've tried and you've documented, uh, your efforts and you can justify not being able to hire. There's, there's some text in the law that it's very vague, but it says that if you can, um, justify it, then, uh, that rule will, not necessarily apply. So like, Hmm, for example, if over 24 weeks or eight weeks, you hit that percentage, right? Mm -hmm. You hit that percentage, but you still don't bring all of the people back. 
it's it's unclear, yeah. but it, it it does seem it does seem like they're saying uh, it, it, they're not gonna you know split hairs over it. Uh, if you get close, if you made the attempt, and you've documented everything, I think that uh, they'll work with you. Okay. And are you are you navigating through this with people uh, a lot right now? I mean, is this is this a uh, high on your list of things that you're doing for your clients right now? Yeah. So uh, I have a custom report that uh, I created for the to calculate what you know what people should apply for for the PPP loan. Okay. And um, and then I also have probably ten different formats of spreadsheets. <laughs> that clients are having me populate. So I'm, I'm having, you know, an employee fill out, fill that out and I'm kind of guiding them through it and proofing, proofreading it. Um, it's not always clear what is uh, acceptable yeah. and what isn't. A lot of these banks have their own spreadsheets and their own kind of set of criteria and how they are interpreting things. So it's going to be interesting uh on a bank by bank basis uh how things go yeah so yeah and it's it is strange because you know it's it's a loan that's guaranteed by the federal government but it goes through you know individual different banks and you know so it's like so much uncertainty on every level i mean all around it's got to be just wild um crazy crazy times so let me just ask you are you tired of seeing spreadsheets yet or what <laughs> well especially now that like the forgiveness criteria is changing and things are up in the air and the uh, application for forgiveness hasn't even been updated yet uh, for the 24 week period. So I, I, it, it does feel like a waste, a little bit of wasted, wasted effort uh, Mm -hmm. filling these spreadsheets out without knowing for sure whether or not it's, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. going to be that spreadsheet that they ultimately use. Um, But uh, I, I, the, the advice that I give all of my clients is treat the loan as if you're not going to get any of it forgiven. Right. That's good. Advice. Run your business as if you didn't get the loan. Do things that make sense business wise. Don't do things because you believe it's going to be forgiven. Don't, right. don't base everything on that. Um, I think what, the PPP has done for a lot of clients is it's kind of uh, opened up a little, some release valves and kind of relieved some stress, which is good. Yeah. Um, I just, I just don't like the idea of my clients clinging to the, to false hope. Right. Um, That'll sink their ship. I mean, if you, if you run it as if it's, you know, free money, it's going to be a rude awakening when they want it back. Um, I I actually had one client that, got an SBA loan and thought it was the PPP loan hmm. the, they got the SBA, the, um, idle, um, disaster relief loan. Yeah. And, and they thought, and they were, I mean, if, if it wasn't for me kind of asking them questions mm-hmm. and finding it out, we would have never known. And they immediately, it was within the seven days. So they were able to send the, send the money back and, and not have to own any interest yeah. because they didn't want a loan. They wanted just a sure thing or more of a sure thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it, that is, is very confusing. I mean, when I was personally going through it myself, um, it was unclear, uh, because they were making up the acronyms of whatever the things are that nobody even knew what any of it meant. 
So when you go on your individual website for your bank or whatever SBA website, um, and there's a million different websites that are offering these things. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I'm sure whatever banking app you use, there's like a banner stuck to the top about it. Everything that I use that has to do with money has some sort of PPP or loan or apply for this. Um, so it's like, what did I even get? I can definitely see how um, that's probably not the only case of somebody getting the loan and thinking it's something else. Um, can you can you give us a little insight about the the I, I, idle loan? Uh, how, how does that work? What's the difference? Um, just touch on it a little bit. Sure. Um, so SBA loans um, are a great way to borrow money if you're a small business. Um, yeah. and, and not a lot of them are issued um, each year. So this, I mean, this is kind of crazy. The times <laughs> that we're in, it's just like, I can't remember what the exact percentage is, but it's like a, I want to say normally it's like five, less than 5% of what's being issued now. Maybe it's, it's even less than that, um, was issued normally on an average year, um, in amount, amount wise and, and volume wise. And it's, I mean, the loan terms are great. It's 30 years, uh, 3.75%. Um, they give you the maximum amount that you can borrow. And then you can, I think, lower that to as little as a thousand. Um, it's, it's a a really great deal for small businesses that maybe we're going to borrow money anyway, that needed to borrow money just to operate their business. I mean, it's a good opportunity to meet those, uh, requirements where before they wouldn't have been considered. Yeah. Yeah. One one of the things just to clarify what this loan is, it's a a disaster relief loan. Uh, Normally, uh, obviously, you don't ever get a nationwide disaster that affects everybody across the board like we have right now. So, um, yeah, like like you said, I mean, the the amount of people that are even eligible to apply a lot of times for these loans are, you know, in like disaster, like tornado zones and hurricane zones or, you know, earthquakes or volcanoes or whatever, you know, so. Um, with this going on right now, uh, do you know anything about, are they going to run out of funds for this? Uh, what if you're in the process of applying, how does that work? Do you have any experience with, um, you know, any, any of the terms or anything like that, as far as what you have to, uh, do to get it? Uh, well, to be honest with you, um, I, I, I'm kind of in the dark and I think most people are in the dark about whether or not the funds are going to run out. And um, it's, it's kind of a first come first serve basis is what I've been, uh, what's been explained to me. And really, you know, you're told in the beginning that things are going to happen a certain way. Right. Uh, like init- initially there's, there was grant money tied to it. Um, and initially it was supposed to be $10,000 per business. Then they changed the rules to $1,000 per employee. Um, so if you only have one employee, you only get a thousand instead of the 10,000, maybe you thought you were going to get initially. Um, and this grant is not, not necessarily, it's not really tied to, uh, the SBA loan. It's tied to the PPP loan. So it lowers the amount you can have forgiven with PPP by that amount. So if you got the grant, then, you know, that's already considered forgiven, right? That's money you don't have to pay back. Um, and then I was told that the grant money was going to be 
arriving in uh, uh, three days, and I think it took about 30 days. And then uh, I was told that within a couple weeks, uh, an SBA uh, loan specialist was going to reach out. That never happened. Um, I got an email that actually went to spam or got filtered. So uh-huh. I didn't even know I had it. So that was me personally. And so I tried to communicate this to my clients like, hey, double check this, double check that to make sure that, you know, maybe you did receive it. Um, I actually had one client that couldn't get the approval because their bank, it kept saying that they couldn't verify their bank. Yeah. And um, I helped them through that. Uh, the For some reason, um, they needed like an official uh, bank name exactly 100% matching. It didn't matter that the routing number and account number was correct. They needed the bank name to match. Oh, wow. uh, because when they first released the website, it didn't have a drop down to select the banks. You yeah. just had to type it in. And then after they added that, uh, that functionality. So if you applied before that, then you didn't know it, but you were getting considered. Yeah. 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 That's, um, uh, you know, being a, being a a web design person, that, that type of stuff frustrates me deeply, especially when you're dealing with people's livelihood, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult. Uh, that process, you know, I, I, uh, have been through it too. I haven't, uh, uh, gotten any money yet, but, I've, you know, I filled it out, did it, you know, I haven't, haven't seen anything yet, but, uh, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed over here. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's crazy times. Um, you know, I, I, we can talk about these things and obviously, like you said, we're kind of all in the dark. We're kind of, you know, kind of, uh, playing it by ear. Uh, I think they're onto the third round of, uh, possibly passing another stimulus thing. I think it's in the works. So hopefully they're going to replenish these funds. Um, I can't imagine why they wouldn't, if they're just printing more money and, you know, making fake money, then they might as well just, uh, make a bill to say there's more of it. Um, so I, it's, it's, it's wild times. I, I, you know, let's, let's move on. (laughs) Uh, so, so, okay. So, you know, payroll, most people think of this stuff as, uh, um, you know, something that they don't want to deal with, uh, that they want somebody else to do this stuff. So, why did you decide that this was the right move for you? I mean, I know you worked for these companies before, but what series of events in your life uh, did uh, did it take to get you into this business? Well, I mean, uh, ADP and, and paychecks have really um, almost a monopoly, like a stronghold on on everything. Uh, they are just rolling in the in the dough, yeah. and. Um, it's tough to compete with ADP and paychecks. I don't think you really can compete with ADP and paychecks. If you're going to offer the same service as them, there's really no competing with them. Um, there are a lot of other payroll services out there that modeled their business after ADP and paychecks uh, with a few extra little wrinkles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there some of them are doing okay. And some of them are just kind of, uh, you know, plateauing a little bit, I think. And then ADP and paychecks. It's just when, when, when business owners are unhappy with the service, a lot of times it's just like with insurance, you know, you go out shop around and you get a nice intro deal and ADP and paychecks do that too. They, 
fight over clients and offer these free payroll for six months right. kind of deals. Yeah, crazy deals um, that nobody can compete with. Right, right, exactly. So, I mean, I don't uh, – I lean on automation mm-hmm. because I have to. Like there's just no way around it. You have – especially when you're small, you can't stay on top of all of the – all the calculations and all of the different, you know, technology that you need to have updated and in order to process all the payments and and make sure that everybody's getting the direct deposits on time and that uh, tax filings are in the right format. So I lean heavily on automation, but on the front end, I just spend a lot of time with the clients. Um, I ask them a lot of questions. I question some of the decisions that they make. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, a different approach, I think, because uh, I just it eats into my profit margin. Uh, yeah. I don't need my profit margin to be as healthy as paychecks and ADP because I'm not doing a whole lot of advertising. I don't have any salespeople. I rely 100% on word of mouth and referrals. So that has helped, you know, allow me to be more proactive and reach out. Well, you you uh, you actually had a uh, a little bit of a story as far as how you got your business started. Um, you said there was a little bit of a you know a conversation that you had. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, sure. So, yeah, I'd been complaining about the payroll industry for a couple of years with friends and family, and um, my father-in-law, who's an avid entrepreneur himself, yeah. and he uh, he got. He got sick of, of hearing me complain. <laughs> right. And uh, one day, I think there might have been some drinks involved, and we were sitting out on, on the lake. And he just finally, he doesn't really beat around the bush too much. And he's just like, you know, it's like, when are you going to put your big boy pants on and, right. and, and just start one of these services yourself? And I listed out like a few th- few reasons why money being the biggest one. <laughs> yeah, it always is, right? And uh, he laughed and and said, you know, let's say all those things are taken care of. Then are you gonna you gonna finally man up? I think he might have uh, might have phrased it. Sure. And I was just like, you know, is this is this hypothetical or are you helping me out here? And he's just like, don't worry about that. Just are you going to start a start a business? And uh, I said, I, I guess I am. Yes. You know, still not knowing that I was committing to starting a business. Yeah. Uh, this was I was kind of getting butterflies and I was a little scared because it, it was just a big unknown for me. I didn't necessarily uh, I, I, I wasn't trying to become an entrepreneur at the time. So actually I was looking into, uh, real estate and investing in real estate and being a landlord. Oh, wow. And so a conversation I had with my wife was, Hey, do we buy this two flat or do we, can I start this business? And she's just like, I'm going to let you make that decision on your own and I'll just support you. Wow. That's a, and, <laughs> that's great. That's I mean, <laughs> And so you then you got a keeper. <laughs> well, I, I think she probably would have preferred that I just work a nine to five job and right. uh, not have all the stress and hours to go with uh, running a business or being a landlord, to be honest. But yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, sure. she's she's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Um, and so, I mean, 
you, you say you didn't really want to become an entrepreneur. Uh, it's all the things you just mentioned. You don't have a, a set schedule. Nine to five is not realistic if you are running your own business. Uh, you know, and people don't understand that. You know, for the most part, um, and it, it's 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 very difficult sometimes with these relationships uh, uh, to 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 navigate through that, especially. Like you said, when you when you bring kids into the mix, you know, you, you know, you, you have res- responsibilities, you have to you know pay the bills. So you have to work twice as hard to get things off the ground. Um, and that's a really serious thing that most people deal with that, that do this. And, uh, you know, the ones that don't really expect that, those are the ones that are like, hey, I'm out. You know, I'm going back to the nine to five. Um, how did you navigate that? How have you been navigating that? And uh, have you have you ever just you know maybe thought? this wasn't the right move. You made the wrong decision. Um, I mean, yeah, every, every year that I make less than I would make <laughs> right. as, yeah. as an, as an employee working in, uh, the corporate world, uh, I, I have a moment where I question it for sure, because it's just, it's, it's like, I'm choosing to be poor. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's, and it's choosing to work for less than a minimum wage sometimes. Yeah, um, definitely. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I think that, um, there are times I miss the stability mm-hmm. of just being able to like, it's five o'clock. I, I leave. Clock I don't out. have to think about it anymore, but I've never really been that type of person. I've always been a workaholic. I've always been the type of person that thinks about the clients, even if they were for a business that I worked for and not my business. Um, mm-hmm. I always just, I worried about people and, you know, how I can help. And so I think that this has been a good fit for me. I have clients that text me and call me on my cell phone, sometimes on the weekends. Mm. I think uh, most of them understand that if I don't answer in the evenings or on the weekends, you know, it's for a good reason. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that uh, when I first started my business, I didn't really set boundaries and I, let my clients kind of dictate things. And until uh, the coronavirus happened and we're doing social distancing and a lot of things are on Zoom and people are just a lot more open about their situations. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, talking more openly about uh, family life mm. and how to balance it with, uh, with, with work and, and mental health, which is a big thing. Huge thing. Um, and so it's kind of brought it back to the forefront and now it's given me the opportunity to set those boundaries, which I am doing. Um, so I think that's a, a really, uh, good thing that's going to come about from all of this. People just really learning that there are a lot of people out there struggling with the same things and they're not, they don't have to go through this alone. Yeah. So. Well, that's nicely put. It's, it's very true. I mean, uh, if there's anything that, co- that comes out of this, it's, there's going to be a lot of self-reflection. You know, people are going to take a look at how they were operating uh, their life before this happened and um, probably make a lot of changes for the better. You know, it puts things into perspective when you have to sit down and you have to take a break. You know, Um, not everybody has that opportunity. People like me, I used to work from home before this and I still do. But, uh, you know, it's like it still has uh, an impact, you know, a huge impact. And uh, I think that's going to be a, a net positive if we can get through it okay on the other side. Um, 
as far as setting boundaries, though, I always like to hear kind of how people decide those things um, and what decisions that they make. So tell us a little bit about the boundaries that you had to put up. Well, I didn't have to put as many boundaries up before the coronavirus. Uh, with, with the coronavirus and the kids being home with us all day, every day, um, I've had to, uh, with my wife working from home as well, I mean, we're, we're both, uh, you know, both parents are, we're, we're still together. Yeah. And so it's, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not going to say that we have it any worse than, you know, other families, especially ones that, uh, are single, uh, single parents. Oh, that's, yeah. I mean, that's gotta be the worst. Um, yeah. at least I have someone's shoulder to cry on. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you need it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, my wife, uh, she relies on grant money for her, uh, income mm-hmm. and for her job and she works in research. So, she's got a lot of pressure on her to perform and, and, and do things. Uh, so she needs to be working. Yeah. If not 40 hours a week, more than 40 hours a week, or at least in that, her, in that headspace. Um, and for me, obviously I need to work more than 40 hours a week. Yeah. So you do the math and it's like, okay, how many hours of television and tablets do my children have to be on? Um, the way we've kind of structured things is, uh, my wife is supposed to be getting up at 6am and working until noon. And then, uh, I have the kids that time. And then, uh, they usually don't get up until eight. Fortunately, my wife gets, gets up close to that time too. (laughs) So she doesn't always get the full six hour shift that she's supposed to. Right. Um, but, um, which makes me feel guilty sometimes, but uh, then I get the noon to six shift and then from six to eight, we're supposed to all spend time together as a family. Yeah. And then I say supposed to, because if things come up then sometimes I end up just keep, I just keep working. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or she starts working again. Um, and then at eight, my kids are supposed to go to bed. Um, and then I try to, muster up enough energy and willpower to work some more. Yeah. Um, but it's exhausting. I mean, it's just, um, it's getting pulled in so many directions and things that you're really passionate about that you kind of feel like you're just set up for failure. Um, when it comes to the business and being a parent, I've kind of, I've even told my wife, I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm just going to take you for granted. Cause all I can focus on right now is just like being a dad and running this business and she understands that too we kind of take each other for granted and it's beautiful in a way yeah (laughs) kind of of weird but i could see that yeah yeah Yeah, i mean when you're honest about things like that i mean and it really is not like from a place of i mean it's the way it has to be right i mean you can't do all the things all the time uh something has to kind of give and you you know i mean i guess in in a relationship that's healthy i mean you should be able to kind of be able to lean on that person and uh, lean on each other. So that's, that, that is a good thing. I like that. Um, and uh, it's good. Uh, it's good for the kids too. I would imagine, uh, you know, uh, before, beforehand though, um, were you working, were, were you commuting before a lot? Was it, were you guys working from home before or how, how did that work out? Yeah. So um, 
I have an office in a co-working space. Well, not really an office, but a, a desk. Right. And um, my wife has an office at, uh, at Northwestern. And we could both, we had a lot of flexibility. So unless we had meetings, um, we didn't necessarily have to be in the office. Yeah. Um, so it was, that part of the transition was, was not too bad. Um, the Zoom fatigue uh, definitely right. kicked in with all the Zoom meetings that, that we had to have um, with employees and, and clients and net, doing networking and, right. and all that. It's, it's, that's kind of been wearing on us for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, I mean, like I said, when we first started this, I don't really like doing these, uh, these, I'd rather do it in person when we do these conversations. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's a great tool. I mean, you, if we didn't have it, we would really be screwed right now, you know, and not having the, the ability to kind of do this connection and, you know, conference like this. So that's a good thing. But when we do finally get back to some sort of normal, what is that going to look like? What's going to change? What's going to stay the same as how you're doing it now? Are you going to, you know, try to get into an office setting again? How, how is that going to look for you? What do you think? I'm not really that concerned about uh, the office environment as much as some people. Yeah. Um, I've never really been much of a germaphobe to begin with. Um, so I kind of feel like once there's a vaccine in place and my kids are going back to school, that's when normal can start happening again. Right. Um, and really, I would just probably do the same thing I did before, which is go to the office when I need to, work from home when I don't. Um, you know, I'd have a lot more opportunities to socialize in person with people, which would be nice uh, because of uh, just all of the phone call meetings and the, and yeah. the Zoom meetings. I've been really reluctant to reach out to people just because like I need a break. I need a break from it. Yeah. Um, just, you know, it's sad because I feel like uh, I'm not, I don't have as many of those personal relationships as I used to have, like right now, not a, not a lot of the close personal relationships. So I hope that once things get back to normal, uh, that I'll be able to develop those and get those back to where they need to be. One, one example is, um, kind of, uh, in an argument with my wife right now about whether or not I can go play beach volleyball. Uh -oh. I have, I have some friends that are setting up a time on Thursday. So tomorrow and, uh, you know, they're taking some precautions, but, <laughs> yeah. when, but, but when you're sweating and you're, you know, going up to block spikes and you're like within six inches from yeah. each other, a lot of times it's hard to yeah. stop the droplets from, from getting on you. Sure. So it's, it's, it's probably an argument I'm going to lose. Well, you said it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you, you know who the boss is a lot of times, right? Um, what, what do they say a lot of times? Uh, you know, I wear the pants, but she chooses what color. Uh, that's the saying that <laughs> we use. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's a strange world. I think that, you know, as far as getting back out, uh, there's only so much safety you can, there's, you know, you have to live your life at some point. You know, I was talking about this with uh, a dentist uh, that I just had on the other day. I mean, you can't, be a dentist and social distance. You're in people's mouth, you know? So people still have cavities, you know? It doesn't stop just because there's this thing going on. Um, so we have to take these risks, you know, at some point. I mean, if you 
are a healthy person, I mean, the chances it seems are very low that anything's going to happen. Um, and hopefully it stays that way. But uh, at some point, you know, everybody has their own opinion. And especially when you have young kids, it's a lot more of a difficult situation, you know, to kind of navigate that. Um, but uh, I don't, you know, how are they going to make a vaccine? And, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy time. So let's, uh, let's look to the future, a little positive stuff. Um, I know that you have some other things on the horizon that you have been kind of working on, you know, aside from your main business, as far as the payroll go, goes, you know, the, the bookkeeping, um, some of the other services that you're looking to kind of develop with technology. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your plans are? Sure. So, um, I started bookkeeping back in 2000. Uh, I was helping a friend with their small business. And so I, I've, I've always been interested in accounting. And so I, I, I started way back then, took a, took a big break, you know, worked on payroll. Uh, but then when I started my business, I had a lot of clients that they wanted bookkeeping and payroll together. Right. And I didn't, I was, I was desperate. I, I couldn't say no. Uh, I had to find a way to keep these clients. And through the first two years of operating a, a payroll service and having to keep track of um, escrow accounts and mm -hmm. making sure everything's in balance for multiple clients, not just your own uh, business operating account, uh, I, I picked up a lot of really good habits and a lot of really good uh, strategies, techniques that right. I've used to help track uh, different accounts and be able to see which clients are more profitable than others, um, which is which is huge. I mean, if yeah. if a, a business can't figure out which client is more profitable and narrow it and pin it down to like what uh, you know criteria they need to meet to to be profitable enough, then they need to see someone. They need to have someone right. look at their books. Um, and so I started doing that in 2014, not really thinking much of it. Um, I, to be honest, I was looking for bookkeepers to take, take that on so that I could just focus on the payroll. And then it, it was in 2018, um, I hired an employee to take over the payroll operations for me so that I could concentrate on growing and, um, developing the, the bookkeeping piece because bookkeeping, I feel like it should be similar, treated similarly to uh, payroll. Like yeah, if yeah. you have an employee, you almost always are going to hire a, a payroll service because you don't want to take on the responsibility of the tax filings, the tax deposits. You definitely don't want to be doing direct deposits and, you know, creating pay stubs and having to deal with all that. And I think that bookkeeping should be the same way. Bookkeeping yeah. needs to be, if you're not an expert already and you don't have the time or you haven't hired a person internally, then you need to hire a service. And my problem with the traditional bookkeeping services out there is that you either have uh, like a traditional bookkeeper that gets paid 25 to $50 uh, an hour. Mm -hmm. And $50, $50 an hour for like someone who's really good usually. And you're paying $50 an hour for somebody to do basic data entry for part of the time. Yeah. And, and you're only utilizing them for 
the strategy part a very small fraction of the time, if, if at all. A lot of times bookkeepers are trying to maximize their profits and minimize how much time they're spending on clients. So they, they take on more clients than they can actually do. And they do the bare minimum for all of them. And, you know, that, that's a shame to me. And then there's also, uh, accounting firms that offer bookkeeping, right. For the same reason I offer bookkeeping in the beginning, uh, they didn't want to lose their clients Mm -hmm. and, they give their junior accountants or, you know, whoever kind of the keys to the car and, right. and they're driving it like kind of wherever, you know, they have time to learn uh, it on the job, learn it on the job and learn it on the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, especially the smaller businesses mm-hmm. get the, the, the trainees, you know, yeah. Oh, here is a small business. They're really easy. Yeah. So and it's the opposite. This, In reality, it's the opposite. I mean, when you're the small business starting out, you, really need the smart top, you know, <laughs> top brass on the job, you know? Um, so it's like, no, I, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. And, and one of the things uh, that was very interesting to me that makes perfect sense that I think is, is so, so uh, important for small businesses to really consider is the more information that you have. I mean, you have a business, you have all these numbers floating around, you know, cash coming in, cash going out, you know, you have all this stuff happening. And, you know, that we have the technology nowadays, we have computers, we have spreadsheets, we have software that can manage these things. But if you don't really know how to read this information in a meaningful way and organize it in a way that you can actually use it to make better decisions, um, then you're wasting, you're just wasting all this stuff. So, um, you know, I mean, making calculated decisions, planning for the future, you know, deciding the right price for a product or, you know, how much to pay this person and, you know, um, all the different uh, things that float around on your spreadsheets all day. Um, You're the person that can actually help people come up with sound strategies and plans using the information that their company's already generating. Isn't that about right? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to be the liaison or the, the bridge between the client and the CPA or the consultants, yeah. the, the, um, the floating CFOs. That's really big right now. Sure. Uh, floating CFOs charge anywhere between $500 to $1,000 an hour. Wow. And so the time spent with them needs to be really, really, you know, uh, precise and calculated. Mm-hmm. You can't just show up with uh, with financials that are just you know cookie cutter and you know everything's thrown in there. You also they're going to want to see things in a way that's different than a tax accountant wants to see them. A tax accountant. That's most of my my clients are trained to make it as easy for their tax accountant as possible. That's like their goal with their bookkeeping, hmm. just so that like they spend the less on, on tax filings. Right. They're not even really using the data in their in, in their accounting software to make financial decisions. Right. I mean, the, most of them live out of their bank, you know, their online bank platform. Right. They're just looking at how much money they have in their account. And they kind of do the math in their head about how much is going to come out before they're paid next. And that's all they're thinking about. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I think that, uh, that they, that super useful. 
Right. I mean, well, so people ask me, well, why don't you want to be the floating CFO? Why don't you want to be the consultant? And I think that there are enough of those people out there. There's just yeah. not enough of, of the liaisons that are going to able, you know, be able to package the information in a way that's yeah. going to be helpful. So that doesn't, I mean, if I'm going to be a floating CFO, I'm going to want to be char- I'm charging my clients like you know, hundreds of dollars an hour. And if I'm charging them hundreds of dollars an hour, I'm not going to want to do yeah. this other, what's considered lower level work really shouldn't be considered that. Right, um, right. You know, I, I have clients that enter their transactions themselves. And then what I'll do is I will look at their financials to make sense of it. And mm-hmm. I'll go over them over each account with them. Why did you put it in this bucket? Why did you put it in that bucket? Like, you know, what if we set up these other wrinkles and did this or that? And and I ask them about how their business operates and how, you know, what what type of client is their most profitable client. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people aren't asking those questions. Yeah, it's a, it's it's important to ask the right questions, but it's 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 really hard when you don't know what the right questions are. I mean, you don't even know what what questions are possible, you know, what even makes sense. Um, it goes back to the small business owner does what they do, you know, and the running business part is, is a secondary part of that job, you know, a lot of times. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's really important to have somebody like you, uh, to, to navigate. So where do you see yourself, uh, building this? I mean, obviously there's a hiccup right now with all this stuff, but is there, is there a big bump in business? Are you seeing an increase in business or is it getting slower for you? because I'm not quite sure how, how this would affect you. You know, it seems to be kind of the same. Okay. Um, I have more clients asking uh, for services, uh, for help, for referrals to other services that might be able to save them money. So I'm getting a lot of clients that are asking for referrals to uh, commercial insurance agents, mm-hmm. uh, to workers' comp insurance companies, which I partnered with a workers' comp company that does pay-as-you-go. So instead of paying one huge premium each year Mm -hmm. or breaking it out twice a year, it comes out each each payroll broken out and and also saving them quite a bit of money. Um, So that's kind of what I'm getting more of. Uh, I'm I'm not seeing much of a difference in how many new clients I'm getting. It was weird. The first week of uh, the shutdown here in Illinois, I got three clients in the same week. Mm. Yeah, that was weird. That was really weird. That was like three clients in a week for me is on the high end. And yes, sure. And that wasn't what I was expecting. (laughs) So it's it's strange. um, It's it's strange to 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 see kind of how things play out with this. I mean, you for, for businesses like you that are really support businesses, I feel like um, people are really in need of that support right now. So uh, it, it makes a lot more sense for businesses to not have to stress about this stuff and leave it up to a professional so they can trust that it gets done correctly, which is so important right now. Um, so, you know, the services that you offer, you're offering, you know, payroll services. Uh, it's not accounting, but it's, you know, payroll bookkeeping services. And um, what is, I, I guess, what, as a professional, what are the main services that you feel will be the most helpful 
to small business owners during these times that you currently offer? What are the things that you think um, people can call you for right now that you'll actually be able to, to make a positive shift for them? Sure. So um, one of the things that uh, I'm offering clients right now, new clients and existing clients, is uh, the ability to um, hold off on making tax payments um, yeah. and keep their taxes, their tax money in-house so that they can keep a positive cash flow. Um, I have some clients that now they use me for just reporting and no tax payments at all. I have some that are having me pay the state taxes, but not federal. Um, because when you're going through a nat uh, you know, national disaster, uh, you can use that as an excuse for paying your taxes late. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not recommending that people do this. There's actually certain taxes that you can pay uh, late and it's not considered a crime. Um, yeah, right. so like if employer taxes, uh, a lot of times you can get away with, but the trust taxes, taxes that are getting withheld from employees checks, I always really strongly encourage my clients to pay those. Um, but I'm empowering my clients and I'm giving them a lot of flexibility. I think that's, uh, number one right now is, uh, the services that can afford to do, you know, to provide flexibility to their clients if they're doing that, that's a good thing. Um, uh, also, another thing I'll touch on is, uh, is the tax credit that's, yeah. that's um, out there. There's a tax credit, which you can't do if you get the PPP. Um, but then there's also uh, tax deferrals, which you can defer uh, your um, employer FICA taxes okay. uh, up to a year. Uh, so at the end of the year, and then um, they're offering... Uh, to do it next year as well, I believe. Um, and so that's, that's something that I'm, I'm helping my clients. It's makes more work for me, but, uh, you know, it's worth it if, if their businesses are able to avoid getting overdraft fees. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know, definitely want credit getting hit. You want to make sure they're in business so they can continue to be your client or, you know, I mean, that's, that's helpful. Yeah. A little extra work now will save you, uh, uh, in the long run, I figure. And, um, you know, I mean, it's crazy. Like I said, uh, whenever we do these things, it flies by. We already did more than an hour. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, we never we never touch on all the things that we wanted to talk about. Uh, like like I said before, we talked for like two hours about lots of different things. I have all these notes of all these things that I wanted to talk about. Um, maybe we'll have you back, you know, to, to touch on some of the, uh, you know, after the fact. Um you know, when, when we get back to business a little bit more and, and you kind of have a better idea of how these things played out and maybe, you know, some of the ways to correct some of the mistakes that people are definitely making right now because there's so much uncertainty, unfortunately. Um, but uh, for now, what is the best way to get a hold of you? And um, I guess, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely put that information in the description below. Tell us how to how to reach out and, and get a hold of you for service. Sure. So. Uh, the main way is uh, just my website, www.infocuspayroll.com. And at the bottom, you can actually schedule a free consultation if you'd like. Um, I offer one-hour free consultations to all uh, prospective clients. Um, and, and I'm trying to provide value during that time and not yeah. actually just try to pitch, you know, pitch my service to you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, my email address is brian at infocuspayroll.com. 
I'm on Facebook, uh, Twitter. Yeah, you name it. Instagram, I'm still trying to get the hang of. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't like Instagram. I don't like Instagram myself, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, I'm sure they can find the links on the website. Uh, that's in payroll.com. And again, this is Brian Boley. Uh, it's, uh, uh, payroll, uh, bookkeeping, and he's located out in Evanston. Uh, if, if you're, if you're around the Chicagoland area, definitely give him a call. Uh, and, uh, I know that he knows his stuff, uh, after listening to this and our previous call, um, I know he's definitely more than willing to, uh, not only help you with these things, but educate you in the process, uh, which is, uh, a lot, a lot more valuable than some of the other services that you'll get in the same space. So, you know, Brian, I, I really, really do appreciate this. Uh, I wish we had more time, but, um, you know, it always flies by. So, um, it's, uh, it's, it's really great talking with you and, uh, we'll, we'll be talking again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Steve.